đời sông núi anh em ta đáp đời sông núi quyết bảo vệ sang sang ta thể chết cho quê hương at host my radio it's on on every monday and every friday and host my radio welcome to the show thank you Welcome to Friday's report of TKO My Radio, episode two hundred and twenty-eight, and I can't believe we made it that far. Two hundred and twenty-eight, starting from two thousand twenty-one. It was two years ago when we started again. And I did my radio show. Thank you to um, our guest Patrick Moore for joining、uh, Professor Patrick Moore for joining our show.、Um, hopefully, you. Learn- I don't expect you to learn anything from me or me learn anything from you, but both sit down, have a nice conversation, everything else, because that's what we are. We want to make sure that everyone's comfortable, and of course, we did change a lot of things to make sure that ev- to make sure everyone, yes, everyone, be comfortable about what they're doing, because everyone's views is always important. Can you leave out everyone's view and you leave only and you have only one view only without anyone else? That's just embarrassing, you know. That's something that it should be important to make sure that everyone's views should be expressed, no matter where it is, because we don't want to live as a、um, in the in the place where no no dissent is being, you know, being expressed, because everyone should have their own idea nonetheless. Now, mat no matter what's going on, at least there should. At least that is a good idea to at least start ch- having a opinion about what's going on in our life and our opinions on what we want to say. So that's why it is we gotta make sure we do that. Otherwise, I don't know what to say. If not, because it's not fun. Alright, let's get into the report. Make sure to tune every Monday and Friday for our report. We have a, a radio show next week as well. <laughs> so you and human rights experts. Troubled over Hong Kong's forty-seven Democrats trial under national security law. A group of United Nations experts has said they are very troubled over the trial relating to forty-seven pro-democracy figures under the national security law. They call on China to review the legislation to ensure it adheres to its human rights commitments to the city. The use of mass trials in the national security cases in Hong Kong may undermine the practices for ensuring due process and the rights of fair tr- to fair trial. Four UN special raptors said in a, in a statement released on Monday. Their remarks came as the independent experts raised concerns over the closely watched national security case, in which forty-seven Democrats stand accused of taking part in a conspiracy to commit subversion. A total of sixteen Democrats, sixteen defendants who denied the charge, has sat in court for one hundred and fifteen days since early February, when the trial began. In August, the proceeding was adjourned to late November for prosecutors and defense lawyers to prepare closing arguments. The remaining thirty-one Democrats, many most of whom have been detained for more than two and a half years, are awaiting sentencing after entering a guilty plea. They all face up to life imprisonment. We have expressed our concerns about the NSL or national security law to China in the past. We are very troubled about the mass, the use of mass trials in the national security case. 
and how they may negative, negatively affect safeguards that ensure due process and the right to fair trial, the expert said. The go- a government spokesperson said in a statement on Monday that the authorities strongly opposed the Iran's, um, the Iran's remarks made by the UN experts. People should should refrain from commenting on or re- in- f- interfering on with the ongoing case, a uh, court case. They added, the four UN experts were Margaret Satterway, special raptors on the independence of judges and lawyers, for no. Uh, for Noe Allen, I, I, I apologize for butchering that. Special raptors on the promotion and protection of human rights and fundamental freedoms, while centering centering terrorism. Clement Nasato Zivole, I probably butchered that again. Special raptor on on the rights to freedom of peaceful assembly and of, of association. Irene Khan, special raptor on the promotion and protections of the rights to freedom of opinions and expression. They were part of the special procedures of the UN Human Rights Council, a body consisting of independent experts who report and advise on human rights from a CMAG or country-specific perspectives, according to the UN. The four experts also pointed to the arrest warrants issued by the Hong Kong government in early July against eight overseas Hong Kongers. <laughs> They were ex-lawmakers Ted Hui and Dennis Kwok, activists Nathan Law, Anna Kwok, Emma Yuan, Mum Siutat, and Fen Lao, and solicitor Kevin Yao. <laughs> they were accused of breaching the Beijing-enacted national the security legislation by calling for sanctions on Hong Kong and China, meeting foreign officials, attending international hearings, and organizing a shadow parliament, among other overseas lobbying acts. Police placed $1 million bounties on each of their heads, Vowing to identify their whereabouts and be prepared to make effective arrests in case they ever return to the city. The charges appear to seek to seek to punish statements allegedly made by each individual criticizing the Chinese government's policy and their activities in support of democracy in Hong Kong, the UN expert said on Monday. They add that professional misconduct complaints against Barrister Kwok and Solicitor Yam appear to be aimed at preventing the two from doing their jobs without intimidation and harassment. Following the arrest warrants and bounties issued, family members of the warrant activists were reportedly questioned by Hong Kong National Security Police. Some were asked whether they hadn't been in touch with the activists if there, if there had been, been any financial transaction between them. The government also defended police actions against the warrant activists in a statement on Monday. The UN experts' comments completely disregards the facts, the spokesperson said. <laughs> and it was an international norm for law enforcement agencies to disclose the details of one fugitives. As of September 15, 279 people have been arrested for suspected acts and activities <laughs> that endanger national security. Since the legislation was enacted, the security bureau told Hong Kong Free Press last month, among them, 162 people and five companies have been charged under the national security law or sedition law or with other crimes. Among the 90 people who have been convicted or are, or, or are awaiting sentencing, Surrey were charged under the national security law. This shows you something, that anything that they can use, they can punish their own opposition. Anything that they can use, they can actually punish anybody who shows any kind of opposition to the government. Now people would say, well it's Hong Kong problem, let them deal with it. Why would I care? Why would I need to know? Well, 
this is very important for America itself, right? Because America, we can at least talk about, we can at least express it. Be happy that we're allowed to express sympathy or whatever the case may be on anybody. Because in, in because in Hong Kong, that crap, that freaking thing won't fly. I would have been very, sh- I would have been very tough on what the government's doing, and I, I'm dead serious. It's not that I don't want Hong Kong independence. Even if you don't, even if you did ask for independence, they can still find a way to get you anyway. Because it kind of makes no sense for them. Because when it comes to, when it comes to having independence, because I don't know if there's any independence movement here in, in the U.S. or at least Texas or some other state, at least where I live, I feel like at this time, to- at the time period that they're in, why does it really? Why did? Does the government has to care so much about what people think, and not focus on what the economy's up right now? Because if you care so much about, if you care so much about what's going on with the uh, with the economy, that would be something that would be much more important. How to get Hong Kong back on the map? How to get Hong Kong back again? That would be something that is much more serious and much more important. Because we're focusing, because we keep bumping ourselves so much to the economy. <laughs> Because if we bump it so much to what's going on in the in the national security law, then it won't do any good. As much as you, what do you guys are doing are total big messes out of themselves, making them look like an embarrassment to the world. And so, well, you should appreciate what they're doing. It's because the government is actually trying to help us. Huh. No, they haven't. Because if they did, why would that? Why would so many people? Move out Hong Kong and live overseas. And we did a, uh, I think we did a podcast. <laughs> did a report about this a very long time ago. Why do we? Why are they leaving then? That's what it is. Why are they leaving? It's because no one wants to deal with because there's no jobs that are available for them. S- sometimes it's not even easy to find one. As much as we love, as much as we love to live in Hong Kong, because. Um, Stuff in Hong Kong is so expensive nowadays. I can't live there. In all honesty. We love Hong Kong. We all love Hong Kong as a home. Hong Kong is a home for everybody. But I've, we, we all felt like Hong Kong's not the same as we want it to be. You know? That's what, that's what makes um, it difficult for us to live. Now let's get into the report. Let's get back into the report. So good news, at least one part. Australian journalist Chang Lei, released from detention in China after three years, reunites with children in Melbourne. I'm happy for her because we because we don't know what happened. We don't know why she was, you know, complete. Um, she was in prison. We don't know why she was in there for three years. Can you believe that? She was in there for three years, and we don't even know what's going on. Luckily, she's released, and luckily, she lives out. She is now completely free. So, China has released Australian journalist Chang Lei after more than three years. Prime Minister Anthony Albanese announced on Wednesday, adding that adding she was free from detention and reunited with her two children in Melbourne. The Australian, the Australian people very much wanted to see. Chang Lei reunited with her young kids, Albany said. Chang, a former a former anchor for Chinese state broadcaster CGTN, 
has been detained since August 2020. She was only formally arrested months later and and eventually charged with supplying state secrets overseas in a case that many saw as politically motivated. A mother of two had been a familiar face on the state broadcaster English language channel, conducting interviews with noted CEOs from around the world. Born in Hunan province, Chang is now an Australian national who immigrated to the country as a child before returning to China and joining the state broadcaster in 2012. China does not allow citizens to hold dual nationality. She was tried behind closed doors, but even the Australia's ambassador to China blocked from entering the court to observe the proceedings. Australia's government had a long campaign for her release, and for China to follow the basic standards of justice, procedural fairness, and humane treatment. She had written about oblique prison conditions in candid note dictated to Australian officials from jail and released in August. I miss the sun, read the message, described as a love letter to Australia. In my cell, the sunlight shines through the window, but I can stand in it for only 10 hours a day, 10 hours a year. Albany said she has been released after the completion of legal processes in China. China's case had been a serious point of friction between Canberra and Beijing. China has repeatedly detained foreign nationals at times of high political tensions with their home nations, raising accusations of hostage diplomacy. Chang's case have often, has often been compared with that of Chinese-born um, Australian writer Yang Jun, who has been detained in China since 2019 on a vaguely defiant espionage charge. Albany said that Chang's release would facilitate his visit to China at a mutual agreed time this year. Australia's China relations have been in deep freeze after Canberra barred Chinese tech firm Huawei from lucrative, lucrative contracts and pushed back against Chinese influence campaigns in Australia. China was also, was also furious at Canberra's call for an investigation into the origins of the COVID-19 outbreak that killed millions and plunged the world's economy into a multi-year crisis. In retaliation, China introduced a swathe of de facto, de facto sanctions against Australian products, measure, measures that have been slowly unwound as relations saw. Now, I'm happy that she's out, because we all know, even if she works, even then, if she works for CGTN or not, whatever she is, she's still a victim nonetheless. Not releasing her, and not campaigning for her release, what else do we go to? What road do we go? What road do we walk to? <laughs> by having, by talking about and by campaigning for her release, we have to make sure that she's safe and completely protected by any any kind of people who wants to assault her or anything like that. Because we should, we all know how important this is. If it's not important, then what do we say? We talked about the district councilors um, nominees um, during that time with the Democratic Party and some other members criticized them for not having um, contact information or contact details for them to at least um, to get them to be nominated to run for the, for the district council race. So we talked about that on Monday and list of nominators for Hong Kong's first Patriot-only district council race does not contain necessary contact details. 
Reports in Hong Kong Democratic Party has again hit snacks trying to access contact details of committee members responsible for nominating candidates in the upcoming quote-unquote patriot-only district council race after the government released a register including only members' surnames and addresses. District council, the district committee's constituency's register was released on Monday with entries for 2,533 electors, members of the area committees, district fight crime committees, and district fire safety committees. Those hoping to run in, district, in December's overhaul district council race must receive at least three nominations from each of the three from each of the three committees to be eligible to run for one of 88 district. Um, directly elect seats on the local level advisory bodies, down from 452 in, 2019 elect- in the 2019 elections. Thus far, the government has refused to disclose contact details of the district district committee's members, citing pri- data privacy, sparking criticism from members of the pro-democracy parties hoping to front candidates in the race. According to the Registration and Electoral Office website, only, only validly nominated candidates meet the specific requirements and members of the press were allowed to inspect uh, the electors' registers at the REO, at the Registration and Electoral Office in Chen Sawan and Kowloon Bay. Only the first Chinese characters or the first word of the electors' name and their registered residential addresses are shown on the register, with no phone numbers or email addresses. Local media, local media reported on Tuesday that the registers included several electors with the with the same surname, according to Ming Pao, eight of the seventy-two electors in central and western district had the surname Chan. According to the earlier statements issued by the Electoral Affairs Seat, uh, Commission or EAC, stories may provide extracts from registers to specified persons. <clears throat> validly nominated candidates or people from el- eligible bodies or organizations. In a reply to local media outlet Hong Kong One, the EAC said members of the pro-democracy Democrat Party were among those specified persons. <clears throat> Hong Kong Free Press had reached out to the commissions for clarification. Democrat Party Chair Law King He, who in September, revealed that eight party members had been endorsed to run in the polls said that he had reached out to the Home Affairs Department for the committee members' contact details to begin seeking nomination. But according to Ming Pao, the department said it could only forward the request to the committees. Yeah, I like that. They're going to say anything. Another pro-democracy party, the Hong Kong Association for Democracy and People's Livelihood, had also raised concern over difficulties surrounding seeking nominations. Plans to overhaul the district council election were unveiled in May 2023 to ensure only patriots are elected following a pro-democracy landslide at the last polls in 2019. The numbers of seats chosen democratically by the public will be slashed to around 20%, with the rest chosen by the city's leader, government-appointed committees, and officials. Constituency boundaries will be drawn. Each local council will be chaired by a government official, basically similar to the colonial era arrangements. All candidates will undergo national security vetting to ensure patriotism, quote-unquote patriotism. Right, not patriotism old to Hong Kong. No, 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 not not that. Those things are different. But it's actually to the government. That's what they're talking about. That's what they're doing. <clears throat> I mean, as much as, as much as they would say, well, we're doing it for Hong Kong. Are you doing it for Hong Kong? Or are you doing it to please the central government? 
Because by simply saying I'm here to please Hong Kong, it's not gonna. It's, it's not the same as. It's not the same as pleasing the government. Because by pleasing the government, by pleasing the Hong Kong people, more like pleasing what the central government or what the SIR government is doing. Because I can guarantee you, if you if you did that in the same here in the United States, it's not going to be the same. They were saying, well, why would I need to endorse, get endorsed by a government official? Why can't it be endorsed by some any rant from any people? Anyone really, they should they should endorse me, not a government official. I mean, they can. But at the same time, they should keep maintaining part um, nonpartisan, and of course, that's the point that everybody should have to know wh- who they want to contact to, and the government should allow these com- should make these committee members put information so that way they so that way any pro democracy people or pro Beijing really so that way they can know who they contact. Otherwise, no one's gonna run. How you gonna run if there's no way you can contact those committee members? Because if you don't, if, because if we don't. Because the thing is, the only thing you can end up doing is that we don't know who they are. How can we run if we don't know, if we can't contact them? Okay, I know when what to run, but how do I contact these guys then? And they're like, hey, I want to contact these guys. I want to start running. They're like, sorry, we don't have those information, but we can afford your stuff in. Yeah, but I got to know who they are at first. Because you got people choosing them. I don't know them. If I was running, I don't know who they are. I didn't ask them. I want them to. I want them to nominate me. That's all. I'm not asking for anything difficult. I'm not trying to put pressure. I'm not trying to be hard on these guys. All I'm asking you is nominate me, so that way I can run, so I can represent the Hong Kong district level. I may not represent them at the legislative level, but I might re- represent them in the in a small district level. That's why they should at least allow them to contact tap these people have contact information. I know you'd be saying, well, you're complicating their lives. No, 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 no. We're not complicating their lives. We're trying to make we're trying to make sure that they get through it. There might be a million or, I don't know, God knows, thousands of people all trying to get their nomination in. And having, and having these kind of organizations, these committees, literally, be, literally going deaf ears on them. And not trying, and not trying to let them... Say, okay, I'm going to let you guys run. I want to nominate you, and I'm going to make sure that you can run. They're just, I don't know if they're trying to stall, or they're trying to wait, or they're trying to make sure that these guys don't run, or they get this, these people disqualified. Of course, the DEB, none of the incumbents run that were in the legislative council, or the one that actually got ousted completely, are going to run. But but who knows? Who knows they're going to Of course, they. I've already reported that they're not running. None, because they're going to focus on the legislative level work. Then doing stuff for the legislative count for the uh, district level. I mean, whatever. I don't want them to run anyway. Anyway, Hong Kong spends ten million dollars on radiation checks amidst import restrictions against Japanese seafood. Hong Kong has spent ten million dollars on enhanced food safety checks since the city banned seafood from parts of Japan and expanded radiation inspections on all Japanese food imports. Secretary for Environment and Ecology to to lawmakers at a meeting on Tuesday that the city had invested $6 million on radiation inspection equipment and another $3.8 million on manpower to carry out the reinforced safety checks implemented since late August. At the moment, the burden is not very big and it's part of our system for protecting food safety in Hong Kong, he said in Cantonese. 
the, the environment chief's comments made at the panel on food safety and environmental hygiene came as as Japan began a second phase, a second phase. In the second phase of releasing tree wastewater from the damaged Fukushima Daiichi nuclear plant last week. The plant was damaged by an earthquake and a subsequent tsunami in March 2011. Hong Kong introduced the radiation checks and banned the imports of seafood from 10 places including Fukushima and Tokyo on August 24th, the same day that Japan started discharging tree wastewater into the Pacific Ocean. The government which has called Japan move to release the wastewater over a 30-year period, irresponsible, said it had no plans to relax its restrictions. On Japanese food imports that are not restricted, stories have been conducting comprehensive radiological tests to ensure all to ensure to ensure the radiation levels are within safe limits before they were released from the airport. All food imports have passed the test so far. According to the government, authorities spot checks around 150 samples of Japanese food products daily, while the tests are inspected with handheld radiation devices. Globally, the reactions to Japan's move had been muted. The United Nations nuclear watchdog said, said in July that the discharge wasn't in line with international standards. Eric Yim, a lawmaker representing the commercial interest, commercial third to be exact, asked whether the government would consider raising import taxes on Japanese food products to cover the increased expenditures. In response, Ted said there was no intention to do so. But of course, if we find out that there is a problem with, Japanese, with the Japanese food, we will definitely strengthen our management of it, he added. Since the government's tightening its import measures, restaurateurs have complained that the prolonged checks at the airport have caused food, food delivery delays. Political analysts have said that politics play a role in the authorities' response to Japan's move, China having banned Japanese seafood entirely. Lawmakers have expressed support for the government's reaction to Japan's decision to discharge the treated wastewater. Some have also called on sorry to expand the import restrictions to cover a wider area. Legislator 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 Chan Rebecca Chan Young, who it could be her anyway, who chairs the food safety pan the food safety panel, right? So, said Japan was not just releasing one round, but multiple rounds of wastewater. She asked whether the government may consider further tightening restrictions to cover other cities in Japan or even other countries. Water will, f- water will flow and fish will swim. We also have to check seafood from other places, Chan said. I don't know if she has her, she's out of her mind or whatever. How can the United States or any other countries from wherever it is, I don't care where it's part of Asia, has to, do, has to do anything with Japan. Just said in response that the government has banned its seafood from 10 places in Japan after evaluating that the nuclear concentration would be the highest in Fukushima and that by the time the water had flowed out, it would be diluted. Lawmaker Bill, Ta- Bill Tang, who joined the petition in August outside the Japanese consulate to protest the, the country's move, asked whether the government's ban covered food on, on airplanes. Many Hong Kong people like to go to Japan for holiday. If the air, if the airline's meal uses ingredients from Fukushima, 
will not be subject to any restrictions if it's if it's disallowed under the law or is it or is it a legal gray area? He said. Chen answered, "If they are airline meal supplied from Hong Kong, they must follow the laws in our jurisdiction. But if airlines meals are supplied from other countries, for example, flying from Japan back to Hong Kong, those will not be subject to our restriction." While there have been no incidents of Japanese food imports exceeding radiation levels, authorities have said there has, there has, been, what? There has been seven cases in which imports importers were suspected of breaching import control measures. Most were said at the time not provided the necessary documentation needed for some Japanese food. For Japanese food imports, the latest was a batch of frozen chicken wings. I don't know why would that even matter. Imported from Ibaraki, Ibaraki prefectures, that were that were imported to the city last Friday. The food was not accompanied with re- a radiation certificate. The C- Center for Food Safety said. Now you be the judge, right? You be the judge. Are they going too far? In my opinion, in my opinion, yes, they're going far. Because I think you just making that as a panic. I don't know if they're make. I don't know if they're doing it in a way where it's just they're trying to push all the crap on on Japan. I mean, we. I know. I get what they did was was uh, crazy, but at the same time, they know what to. Japan knows what to do. I'm not trying to defend them. I'm just saying, even as much as I mean, if we look. At China right now, right? China and Japan has a lot of qualms about them. Has a lot of rivalry with with each other because of the past stuff that that happened, right? Earlier day, a week or so, China released a some Chinese school. One Chinese school released a video that was unbelievable. It was basically a. It was basically a. Let's just say a little skit, but it's a little performance that they did. Where they did, where they have Japanese Shinzo, uh, former Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe being assassinated. Now that, of course, is very, very atrocious. As much as we hate what Japan does, it gives them no rights for them to do the kind of thing. Now that I found, to, now that I found to be very, very unacceptable. At this time period, at this time period, right? We don't need, we don't need them doing this kind of crap, because when they do it, it's just a political move, you know. It's a political, it's a political move. It's like it's like nothing's nothing's done. <laughs> nothing's done. Even when the government's acting like they're trying to say, well. They're doing it because they're trying to protect this, they're trying to do this and that, this and that, this and that. Like, they want to do this, they want to do that, but it's always been a no. It's always been a no to them. Right? Because, as much they're acting like they know everything, they're trying to make it look like they are protecting them, but in actuality, they're not. We're not here to debate that kind of thing. Problem is that is many parts of it. 
and we want to demonstrate something is that the government might act like they care, but in actuality they don't care. That makes it that makes it much like a crappy government where they want to spread fear to people. I'm just hoping that they're not acting because they're going they're going nuts on that. And we're just hoping and we're just hoping because the government and we already know what they're up to they're not they're not stupid they're not they're they're just doing it anyway. So I'm hoping. So I'm hoping. That they are actually improving the lives instead of sitting there trying to act like <clears throat> they're trying to. F and of course, they're acting. I think we make it very clear for. We'll make it clear for everyone that we'll make, we're trying to prove something when you realize you don't prove anything. And it's pretty funny that these government can spread fears when it comes to when it comes to um, criticizing the government. Right? That's what it is. It's, it's pretty... So what? So we're gonna make sure we're gonna make sure that those people are being being you know protected. Anyway, let's get back into the report, and then we're gonna go into the break. U.S. condemns forced repatriation reparations of Chinese rights lawyer Lucy Wei from Laos. The U.S. denounced um, Wednesday the deportation of. A prominent human rights lawyer from Laos to his native China, calling for details of the whereabouts and assurances on the alien activist's access to medical care. Lucy Wei was one of the lawyers appointed by families of a Hong Kong activist group that was intercepted by authorities in 2020, attempted to flee the city by boat to Ch to Taiwan, but after being arrested by Laotian police while en route to Thailand in July. Lu was transported back to China last month, where he is likely to face legal repercussion, a rights group said. He is not being held in a detention facility in Sichuan, southwestern China, his family told Amnesty International. The United States condemned the forced um, um, reparations of uh, repatriation of, peop of People's, People's Republic of China's national and human rights lawyer, Lucy Wei, to the PRC from Laos, at the request of PRC authorities, U.S. State Department spokesperson Matthew Miller said in a statement using China's official name. 
We call on the PRC to confirm Lou's current location, allow for external verification by independent observers of Lou's well-being, including access for doctors to treat Lou's chronic health conditions and enable his access to a lawyer of his choosing. Lou and one other human rights lawyer, Ren Chen Chen Liu, who also sought to represent members of the Hong Kong 12 that attempted to escape to Taiwan, had their legal license revoked by in 2021 by authorities. Following the large-scale pro-democracy protests in 2019 that erupted in 2019, Beijing has cracked down on legal professions offering activist representation and a campaign critics has slammed as a attempt to silence this assent. Mainly authorities accused Lu of inappropriate remarks on the internet and seriously damaged the lawyer's industry image. But Lu told AFP in 2021 that he believed the accusations were j- just a cover, that his decision to take on several sensitive cases had marked my destiny. Beijing has, has in recent years had also stepped up a campaign targeting its critics abroad. Last year, Spain-based NGO Safeguard Defenders said, Beijing has set up 54 overseas police stations around the world, allegedly to target Communist Party critics and coerce people into returning to China. Beijing has denied the claims, like they always do. Lu's report reappearances in a Chinese detention center is a latest chilling example of the Chinese government's determination to pursue its critics even beyond China's borders, Amnesty International said. Now, this is basically one of the biggest fears that everyone has. No matter what, it's scary because every anything that that the governments do, it can create a biggest fear that these that these Chinese people that they have because the Chinese people are the one that actually help everyone that try to make sure that these Hong Kong people are being protected. You know that's what it should be. So I'm hoping that this can happen. Hoping that they get a, a hope he gets a lawyer that can protect him and give him a right representation. We'll be right back and we'll be right back after the break. Welcome back. Hong Kong's largest pro Beijing party suggests cutting stamp duty on purchase of second property. Hong Kong's largest pro Beijing party has suggested cutting the stamp duty on residents' purchases of second properties from 50%. 50% to 6% in an attempt to stimulate to stipul- uh, stimulate the economy. Speaking on an RTHK program on Wednesday, Holden Chow, vice chair of the Dem- Democratic Alliance for the Betterment and Progress of Hong Kong, said the decade-old spicy measures originally imposed to curb soaring prices should keep up with the times. He said the economic environment in which the government imposed measures to curb demands and rampant speculations was greatly indifferent was greatly different from the current situation. The international economy and Hong Kong's economy are not the same as they were ten years ago, Chow said. Suggesting that buyers stamp duty on second property purchases should be cut more than half more than half, down to six percent. I believe that there's a large demand, so this would alleviate buyers' tax burden, he said. He added Chow also proposed exempting, exempting professionals who have settled in Hong Kong via various talent schemes from paying stamp duties when purchasing properties. 
they would only have to pay if they leave the city and sell their homes without fulfilling the permanent residency requ- requirement of seven years residence. Cutting those taxes could incentivize professionals to settle in Hong Kong, buy homes, and stimulate the economy, he added. Finance Minister Paul Chan earlier this week said he would be pragmatic in deciding whether to curb stamp duty as recommended by embattling property developers. We will consider this pragmatically with reference to market conditions and the environment in which the policy was formulated. He added that corporate taxes would make up for the expected shortfalls in government revenue and the city's economy would remain stable in the medium to long term. Even if you lower, okay, something that you can fight against when you're trying to battle with these tax, when these property developers, it doesn't really improve on any kind of situation. It's still going to hurt normal people nonetheless. Now, I'm not a, I'm not an economist. I'm not a, uh, I'm not a finance person, so I don't know what they're up to. That's up to people is going to believe, what people is going to think, what people is going to say. So it's up to them. I'm not, an, I'm not a finance person, so I don't dwell or at least jump on the conclusion. But they should also find a way to lower the price on property so that way normal average Hong Kongers, not rich tycoons or rich rural committee chairs, so that way they can live in a house for good sake. How many Hong Kongs out there, how many Hong, normal Hong Kongs out there haven't even have a house? Some of them sleep in the streets, so why would that even? So why would that even? They're not cons- they're not concerned about something that they should be concerned about. As much as NGOs, small groups, even then, even then, the pro democracy and pro Beijing somehow they never really dwell into housing. I mean, they do pro democracy concern or whoever it is, but they sh- that's what they should be continuing to focus on, improving housing work. John Lee. Why are you not improving how why are you not focusing on housing? You're improving so much on that you talking so much about national security. It's not that I have a problem with them it's not that I have the problem with the response. I'm complaining about the lack of response of what the government's doing. Of focusing on things like stamp duties on these kind of people or trying to lower that to only about percent. Even if even if you lower it to only eight per six percent, nine percent three percent, whatever percentage it is. Does it really improve anything to the economy? I mean, the economy is still not gonna be fixed overnight. Even if you do, even even if you push to the hardest as you can, it doesn't change much. Good effort, but why would that even even make a dent into what's going on with the economy because of COVID? I'm not saying they didn't do a good job, but I feel like at this time they haven't done much. So why would that even you may think it might work? Because the economy right now is being still hampered even post-COVID restrictions, right? So I'm going to let that the economists handle that or let the economists answer that question because I don't know what to answer. I might answer the wrong questions and, you know, I might get completely shouted with a bunch of crap from people who work in the finances. So we're going to go back to it. Tell good stories of rule of law, Hong Kong lawyers urge to contribute to China's Belt and Road Initiative. A senior Beijing official in Hong Kong has urged the city's legal professionals to act as envoys in promoting its rule of law and to seize the chance to become a dispute resolution center for China's Belt and Road Initiative. 
Lu Guanyin, Deputy Director of the Central Government's Liaison Office, said Hong Kong should leverage its unique advantages as the sole common law jurisdiction in China and provide cross-border dispute resolution services for Belt and Road countries. Liu was speaking at a forum organized by the Law Society of Hong Kong, a professional body for the city's lawyers to mark the 10th anniversary of the initiative. The legal sector in Hong Kong is an important participant, contributor, and beneficiary in the Better Road Initiative, Liu told guests in Mandarin. It should actively engage in international exchanges, serving as envoy to tell a good story of Hong Kong's rule of law and to polish its gold letter signboard. Liu, formerly Beijing's top diplomat in Hong Kong, also told the sector to firmly uphold the Chinese constitution and the basic law, Hong Kong's mini constitution, and defending the city's constitutional order. Making use of the rule of law and optimizing the business environments are important ways for Hong Kong to contribute to the Belt and Road project, he added. Speaking at the same event on Wednesday, Chief Executive John Lee said China's fourth, uh, 14 five-year plan support Hong Kong as a center for dispute resolution services in the Asia-Pacific. We also said that his administration fully support a white paper published by China State Council that summarizes the development of a, long, of a decade-long infrastructure project. According to the white paper, the Belt and Road Initiative has generated more than $2 trillion, which is about $52 trillion U.S. dollars, which is in Hong Kong, it will be $15 trillion, and contracts more in more than 130 countries. Hong Kong has a clear and compelling role to play in help and helping to realize peace and prosperity throughout the Belt and Road, Lee said. Hong Kong held its 8th Belt and Road Summit last month to mark the 10th anniversary of the initiative, one of the Chinese leaders Xi Jinping's signature foreign policies. Supporters of the strategy said it will, boost, it will help boost trade and raise gross domestic product and, and participating nations. Critics, however, have called it a Trojan horse designed to increase China's influence. During the event, the government paid for visits by 15 journalists from Asia and Europe as the part of efforts to promote a favorable image of Hong Kong internationally and in mainland China. In Beijing, the third Belt and Road Forum for International Corporations will be held from October 17th through 18th. She's scheduled to attend the opening ceremony and deliver a keynote speech. If you're telling good, telling good stories, is it also telling bad stories as well? Because if you say only good stories, it's not going to be enough. you got to also mention everything and say something that actually will be, you know, be equal. Because saying one thing isn't, isn't going to do much, really. Applications for Hong Kong's government jobs rose sharply this year, official says. Applications for jobs in Hong Kong's civil service rose sharply during this year's recruitment. Period. Secretary for the Civil Service Ingrid Young has said, with around two, two, um, 20,900 received. Young said in a Facebook post on Thursday that the Civil Service Bureau received around 12,500 applications for the Ministry of Officers post, a 34% increase from last year's recruitment. Some 18,400 applications, a 38% hike, were received for Executive Officers post. Some people applied for both. The government aims to recruit 50 administrative officers and 220 executive officers, grade 2. The application period ran from September 16th to October 6th. The city have seen a 
a marked increase in resignation from public service in recent years. There, there were 3,743 resignations in the 2021-2022 year, up from 1,863 the previous year, according to a Legislative Council document. <clears throat> from June 1st, the government began allowing undergraduates and graduate students to apply for civil service, civil service roles up to two years before they finished their courses. The city the city currently employs one civil servants. I feel encouraged by the numbers of applications received, which reflects the interests of many people, including including fresh graduates and third year university students in joining the civil service and serving the public. Union wrote, "It is important to stay updated on current affairs and deepen and deepen." Deepen the understanding of public policies in different fields, as well as major international po- political and economic developments. Yaron added, addressing the candidates. She also emphasizes the analytical writing abilities, as well as time management skills. Qualified applicants will be invited to take part in a recruitment examination on December second. She added. Yaron also earlier said persistent non-performers <clears throat> would be sacked under a system aimed at maintaining the service. Services efficiency, in a move that drew criticism from the employee union. Chairman of the Federation of Civil Service Unions, Leung Chao Ting, <clears throat> said the system would deter potential applicants from joining the service. I wonder how many Hong Kong normal Hong Kong people that are applying, many un- undergraduates or whatever or whatever whatever they are in, right? I wonder how many of them have problems trying to get in. It's because the government is just being too belligerent when it comes to taking the oath. They can't force people to take the oath when they when they already discharged themselves already. That's the thing, because the cons- even if you swear an oath, it's not really an oath to protect Hong Kong or anything like that. It's more like an oath to protect the government, which I don't know why would that be a good idea, because by doing so, by protecting only the Government, you're supposed to be serving and protecting the constitution and also the people of Hong Kong. You're serving for them. You're serving, yes, you're serving the government. But at the same time, the government should be serving for the people, not the people serving the government. That's why it should be important that we should differentiate between that. We, the government should serve us. We should, we sh- the gov- the people serve us. The people shouldn't serve us every time. It means that we have the power. To make sure that they have the power to give us something, so we can actually make sure that people like us don't abuse our own power. Basically, kind of keeping a check and balances kind of thing, as we, as I should say, because that's important. If not, then why, why would I even, why would that, why would I bother? As much as they want to, you know, say that this application is good, even then, in my own opinion, not enough. Even then, it's not. It's still not efficient enough. If they go up, like, if they go, even if it's 38%, 38% still doesn't mean anything for me. If it goes up to, like, I don't know, 90 or maybe if 60% to be neutral, 60% to be neutral, right? Even then, it's still not good enough. In my own, in my own book, it's not good enough. Large numbers of North Koreans likely deported by China, says Seoul. A large number of North Koreans appears to have been um, repatriated 
from China, Seoul's Unification Ministry said Friday, confirming claims made by multiple rights groups. Tens of thousands of, of North Koreans ha- who have escaped re- um, repression and poverty at home had made had made, made the arduous high risk journey across the country's land border with China, where they face arrest and possible de- deportation. Activists said, say the fugitives face severe punishments or even death sentences if forced to return home. It appears to be true that a large number of North Korean residents who were repatriated to North Korea from the three sun. Um, northeastern provinces of China. Unification Ministry spokes, spokesman Ko Byung Sam told the report without giving its exact number. Algum regrets this situation and raised, and raised this issue seriously with China, emphasizing, emphasizing our position. He added, South Korea's position is that under no circumstances should North Korean defectors living abroad be forcibly repatri- repatriated to North Korea with, against their will, he said. Chinese Foreign Ministry spokesman Wan Wenbin on Thursday declined to address specific deportation claims, saying there is no such thing as so-called North Korean defectors in China. China was, uh, has always upheld a responsible attitude toward DPRK, North Korean people, who entered the country illegally for economic reasons and persist in ordering and properly handling them in accordance with combined with the combined principle of domestic law, international law, and humanitarianism, he told reporters at a daily press briefing. Seoul's announcement comes after North- South Korean's daily Chosun Yubo cited rights groups in reporting that Beijing has repatriated about 600 North Koreans on the night of October 9th. Human Rights Watch separately said Beijing has forcibly returned more than 500 North Koreans to their home country. China is North Korea's strongest ally and most important trading partner. Elizabeth, Sa- Elizabeth Salmon, the UN Special Raptors on Human Rights in North Korea, has estimated that approximately 2,000 North Korean defectors are currently being held in China. Under a 1989 bilateral border, patrol, bo- uh, border pr- protocol, North Koreans are not permitted to seek asylum or resettlement in China and are instead deported back according to Human Rights Watch. The government should denounce China's latest returns and call for an end to future forced returns, the rights group said in a statement. The Chinese government should provide the UN's authorities with access to North Korean detainees and, and either grant North Koreans f- f- uh, refugee status or give them safe passage to South Korea or, or other countries. I don't know how much the government's going to listen. The Chinese government, I mean, as you may know, the Chinese government does what they want. They are not, they don't care. You know they don't care if, if anything was they don't care if anything was ungovernable or anything, because if North Korea says something and make a big fuss or cry about it, China will just bow to them every time. The Communist Party will just bow to them, as you may know. Even even if we say well they're gonna not deport anybody, they're gonna do it against North Koreans. Well, most of these guys don't want to stay in a country that's so dictatorial. That's what it is. It's so dictatorial that no one wants to trust these guys. Hong Kong deports mainland Chinese students after she served six months jail over a plan to display Hong Kong ban- display Tiananmen banner. A mainland Chinese postgraduate student had been deported from Hong Kong after completing a six-month prison term over an ele- a sedition charge relating to plans to display a Tiananmen banner. 23-year-old law student Zhen Yuxuan 
had been reprimanded since this June over a separate sedition charge for allegedly mourning the death of Lung King Fai, who stabbed a police officer on July 1st, 2021, before taking his own life. Jane's full name was mentioned in a security bureau statement on Thursday, which read that she was she had, was removed from Hong Kong in accordance with the immigration ordinance. The bureau cited a clause in the ordinance saying the removal orders may be may be made against a undesirable immigrant who has not been an ordinary resident in Hong Kong for three or three years or more. Her initial sedition charge was withdrawn, and Jane was instead convicted in September after pleading guilty to attempting to do an act with seditious intention by planning to display a large banner relating to the 1989 Tiananmen Monument on the anniversary of the crackdown. The banner displaying was a part of an international campaign led by by Jean Gaoshot, the the Danish artist who created the Pill of Shame, an 8-meter sculpture commemorating the victims who died in the 1989 crackdown. The sculptures was quietly removed by the University of Hong Kong, citing safety concerns in December 2001. It had stood on camp on the campus for 24 years before the removal. It's basically it's basically they removed it without even letting anybody know about that. So in May, it was seized by the city's national security police as evidence for an incitement to subversion case involving the organizers of Hong Kong's T- annual Tiananmen crackdown vigils and its three leading members, Lee Chet Yan, Albert Ho, and Chan Tong. The court heard that Zhang had done meticulous planning to showcase the banner as she had brought tools, conducted site checks, and booked a nearby hotel room. She also informed the press about the plan to raise publicity and came up with contingency, plan- contingency plans to in case she botched the plan. I don't know why Gum is so afraid of a banner. Even if she even if she was, just let her do it. I mean it's not gonna cause any massive problem. And it's a shock it's not surprising that many mainlanders are starting to realize what's going on about what happened to him and because if more people talk and more people because Hong Kong in the past that it could be sent to them in a flash. It could be from those activists. I don't know who sent them, but if those activists in Hong Kong back then sent them, then that's good. That's good that they do it. Then it means that more people, if more people talked about it, more people knew about it, then that's a good idea. Then that's a good plan. Then that's a good win win already. So we're going to go back into a report. Hong Kong police take a man aside after he displayed British colonial flags at football match, which is basically us calling, calling soccer. A Hong Kong man who displayed a British colonial flag during a FIFA World Cup qualification match was taken aside by police. Around 15 minutes before the match, before the match, a man wearing a hat and a white shirt held up Hong Kong's colonial era flag in the Hong Kong Stadium spectator, spectator stand. He was soon approached by at least two plainclothes police officers and led away, Yahoo News reported. Police then searched the man's bag, according to photos by, uh, by online media outlets, The Collective, in response to Hong Kong Free Press. The police said in a statement that they identified a 21-year-old man who displayed a flag when police were maintaining order at the stadium. Our staff therefore approached the man for further investigation. No one was arrested in the incident, a police spokesperson told Hong Kong Free Press in Cantonese. Please not reply as to why the man was taken away and whether he returned to the spectator stand afterward. 
The colouring of the flag emblazoned with the Union Jack in a dragon and lion motif was adopted by the colonial government as Hong Kong's flag from 1959 to 1997, before the city was returned to China. The flag was waved occasionally at assemblies and marches during the 2019 protests. During the July 1st storming of the Legislative Council building in 2019, some protesters hung the flag on the podium after breaking into the building. Tom Yu Chung, a pro-Beijing politician who is a former member of the Standing Committee of the National People's Congress, told media outlets in May 2020, ahead of the national security law en- enactment, he, that he believed waving the colonial flags during the marches would violate the legislation. In November last year, a, no- a citizen's journalist who waved the colonial flag while the Chinese national anthem was being played was sentenced to three months jail for insulting the anthem. The incident, during which people were gathered at the mall to watch the Olympics medal ceremony, marked the first conviction under the National Anthem Ordinance, which came into effect in 2020. Hong Kong matches have sometimes become platforms for political demonstrations in recent years. Hong Kong football fans were heard booing China's National Anthem in September last year at Hong Kong Stadium, when the city saw its first match that was open to spectators after the government lift COVID-19 restrictions. A team of six policemen patrolled the stadium, with one holding up a video camera recording the scene as some fans booed March the Volunteers for about 10 seconds, before the Hong Kong team took on Myanmar AFP report. During two Asian qualifiers for the World Cup in November 2019, when Hong Kong played against Bahrain and Cambodia, spectators also booed the national anthem. People later fined the Hong Kong Football Association 30,000 Swiss francs, which is about, in Hong Kong, that would have been about $3,500. I don't know what's wrong with people booing the National Anthem. I think there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with people booing the National Anthem. If America, if they want to, okay, if they want to boo the American Anthem, fine, they can do that. People take knees all the time, so it's not really a um, a big deal, in my opinion. If they want to take a knee, fine. I don't like it, but that's their rights to do it. People don't like it, fine. You have your oppositions, I'm not going to fight you. I have no problem with that. Hong Kong lawyer Leo Yao challenges conviction in jail time for obstructing police outside court. Hong Kong lawyer has challenged his conviction in a seven-day jail sentence for obstructing police outside a court in March 2021, when 47 pro-democracy figures faced a marathon bail hearing under the security, national security law. Solicitor Leo Yao appeared before Judge Johnny Chan on Thursday in a bid to convince the court to quash his conviction and sentence for obstructing police officers outside the West Kowloon Magistrate's Court on March 1st, 2021. Now, on that day, hundreds of people lined up outside the courthouse in Shamshui Po to show support for former lawmakers, ex-district counselors, and activists charged with the conspiracy to commit subversion under the Beijing Imposed National Security Law. The landmark case saw the Democrats and their legal representatives stay in court until after midnight as the defendants took turns to apply for bail pending trial. The bail hearing eventually lasted for four days, with the majority of defendants have been, de- have been detained since then. Yahoo represented defendants, including former district council member Ben Chilman and Andrew Chiu, were said to have deliberately obstructed police at around 9 p.m. around 9 p.m on March 1st, 2021, by refusing to produce identification in an area cordoned off by the police. He was found guilty and jailed for seven days in 2022. On 
Thursday, Yao's representative, Barrister David Ma, argued that there was no evidence before the trial magistrate to explain why the force had to set up a courting area on that day. Although the 47 Democrats' case was sensitive and attracted media and public attention, only a handful of people remained outside the court when Yao was stopped by was stopped by the police, he said. The magistrate had not considered whether it was still suitable to maintain the courting area at 9 p.m. when no one was gathering, the lawyers argued. No matter how many people were outside the ones at the court, it did not amount to a public procession, Ma told Ju- Judge Chen when when he argued that the that the police power to set up a cordon area did not apply when there were very few people outside the courthouse. Senior public counsel prosecutor Winnie Mox said Ma, who also represented Yao at the trial, had repeatedly told the magistrate that the legality of police enforcement on the d- on a day was not a matter the defense was concerned about. It was why it was why the magistrate had not invited both the prosecution and the defense to make submissions on this point. She said, "The magistrate did not err." She said, "When she went on to argue that his client and had genuinely believed that the police had no power to bar him from entering the courthouse, even he was wrong in, in this belief." The trial. The trial magistrate should have, should still have considered this as a factor in his defense. Yao also repeatedly told police that he was a lawyer, and the court should have taken into account, count his out of court statements, including his calls to a not to a nine to a nine 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 emergency line asking for assistance after he was barred from the from entering the court. The obstruction created by Yao was also not very serious, Ma argued. I mean, the interactions he had with the force lasted around two minutes and three seconds. He called on Judge Chen to review the convictions and sentence. Mock said the magistrate had already acknowledged Yao's occupation in the judgment, and Ma's team had not cited had not cited legal precedent to back his point that the court should have attached more weight to this argument. They also did not give give evidence during the trial. She said she said, which meant. The court should uh, could only review his actions based on the video footage, which showed he argued with the police. Police made a simple request for Yao's identification proof, and he did not comply, Mock said. The magistrate could see the act of the defendants. It was a judgment based on evidence, she said. She questioned what grounds the police had to believe Yao was in fact a lawyer when he refused to produce proof. And the lawyer had mistakenly told the emergency line operator that he was working on a rioting case rather than the Democrats' national security case. Not everyone wearing a suit and holding a pile of paper could claim they are lawyers, the Department of Justice representative said. Chan adjourned this, um, his decision to January 12th next year. So, that would be fun for these guys to start talking about. Well, at least fun for these guys to argue in court about. Hoping that he can be free soon. God knows what's going to happen to him. Of course, nothing's going to happen to him because it's just a invest. It's just still trial right now. Two reports for today. And let's continue. Protests over relocation of elderly residents at Hong Kong's only private low rental housing estate. A group living at Hong Kong's only private low rental housing estate has staged a protest against a relocation plan for elderly residents ahead of a five-year redevelopment period. Residents are expected to leave by early next year. Residents of, of Gua Kei Kun and Kate Aoyoung, 
a mem- member of the residents residents rights concern group of the Hang Sai estate, marched on fr- on Friday from the estate up Sep um Sep um Sep Sep Kit May to legal aid department. I'm messing up again. Sip Kit May to the legal aid department Kowloon branch office in Mong Kok, as they sought legal advice to potentially take their case to court. Kwok carried a ham a handmade coffin and hosted a banner made of foam boards that reads awaiting grievances to be heard and where to seek justice in Chinese. The duo shouted slogans including no proper relocations when bringing down a house, losing home when we are old, around the busy streets of Mong Kok. According to the redevelopment plan, the landlords of the decades-old estate, the Hong Kong Settlers Housing Corporations, will offer rent subsidies and relocation assistance to households eligible to move back after the estate is redeveloped. It is expected to be completed by 2029, where residents are expected to leave by next March. How can they, where can they live in? Ah Young, a 60-year-old who had lived on the estate for four decades, said the relocation plan is unfair and improper for many elderly residents. It is difficult for elderly residents to rent a place elsewhere. Landlords are unlikely to lease to elderly people, she told Hong Kong Free Press in Cantonese. According to the Hong Kong, Hong Kong SHCL's proposal, for those who are deemed eligible to return, a single-person household will get 540000 in rent subsidies and another $30,000 for relocation. This amounts to $9,000 of monthly rent subsidies during the five-year redevelopment period. A family of four, on the other hand, will receive will receive $810,000 in rent subsidies, the equivalent the equivalent of thir- of thirteen thousand five hundred a month, but Aoyun said that many sick residents are old and may not secure a lease elsewhere, given the- this amount of subsidies. Quoxi's for Zhou said it is unfair that the redevelopment projects will offer fewer and small units to returning residents than new buyers. It's like robbing the poor to provide for the rich, he said in Cantonese. The Hong Kong SHCL's plans states that it will provide at most 1,300 units for eligible tenants to return and around 2,000, around 2000 units for a starter home pilot scheme. The policy was introduced in 2017 by then-chief executive Carrie Lam to provide discounted private housing to first-time buyers. Hong Kong Free Press had reached out to Hong Kong SHCL for current, like if they're going to care. The protest received support from local residents on Friday. Lai, a 91-year-old resident who lived alone in my own house, at my own house, said he felt anxious and helpless over the relocation plan. Meanwhile, 33-year-old Ma Kong Yu, a lifelong resident of the estate, told Hong Kong Press that he supported the group's demand as the Hong Kong SHCL has not provided enough guarantees to tenants that the projects could be completed in five years. The pair demand that the Hong Kong SHCL directly communicate with them as they urge the government to help elderly, elderly residents to secure a lease or provide them with a transitionary public housing unit in nearby districts. In August, more than 100 residents of Daihang Sai Estate already held a press conference expressing dismay and saying that the relocation has not been properly handled. 
Wong Yuwa, a one of the residents' representatives, said at a press conference that 80% of the residents were more than 70 years of age. The government had the responsibility to help relocate the residents for its role in facilitating the redevelopment project, Wang added. Both in 1965, the estate was the only private low-renting housing in Hong Kong. It was created to rehouse tenants affected by the clearance of the then Daihang size resettlement area. So why then? Why are they relocating them? What's the point of it anyway? There, some of them are frail. Some of them are sick. How can they move? You expect them to? You're gonna be like, whoa! They're gonna. They can crawl. Yeah. How cruel the gum? How low can the gum be? And one final report for today. We might as well go go to quickly. Hong Kong District Council race. You focus party vows to build trust in society as five candidates I seats. And now since political party News Prospect for Hong Kong has plan has announced plans to send five candidates to run in the upcoming district council election. The party founded amidst twenty nineteen extradition bill protests said it would seek the support of young voters and vow to mend the rift in the city. Led by the party's sole lawmakers, Gary Zhang, New Prospect an- pro- announced on Thursday that it would send five candidates, all with no prior election experience, to run in geographical constituencies in four districts in December in the, in the December general election. There were Yank, um, Yankee Chan, Sharon So, Kobe Wong, and Billy Lee Ka Chun, and Henry Ma. The candidates' diverse backgrounds and their passion to get with their experience serving the community will allow them to secure enough nominations and voter support, the lawmakers said. Ma, one of the election's hopefuls who have engaged in district work in home home for almost two decades, said the candidates were not completely inexperienced. We have zero experience in running elections, but we have served the communities for a certain period of time. We could combine our ex- expertise and our experiences in the district and find new directions, Ma said in, in Cantonese. He is currently a member of the Fight Crime Committee, a local government-appointed um, body which gained new powers to nominate district council election c- candidates following the overhaul. Zhang, a executive committee member of New Prospect, told reporters on Thursday that the most critical issue Hong Kong has to tackle was um, trust among Hong Kong citizens as well as their trust in establishments. The party aimed to propose concrete solutions rather than simply airing criticism or making a show of taking a stance. He said and the party established in October 2019 demonstrated to young people that it stood behind them, even on more controversial issues. It's our job to repair the relationship and also to show our young people and society as a whole that it doesn't have to be like what it used to be in the past, the legislator said. Zhang had advocated for Hong Kong's two mainland travel permit was revoked confiscate after they were arrested or charged in the connection with the 2019 protests. He had handled 200 to 300 cases, the legislator said on Thursday, saying he was confident that trust could be rebuilt. The party's electioneering activities would be coordinated by former Civic Party District Council William Lee, who was elected in 2019 with 6,450 votes, the highest in the Guangdong District. He resigned in July 2021 amidst an exodus of pro-democracy councillors ahead of a new oath-taking arrangement for public officers. He also quit the Civic Party, which voted which voted to disband in May this year, citing vacancies in the executive committee posts. 
He told the press on Thursday that many people were left feeling lost and hopeless after many things happened in Hong Kong in recent years. But as a young man who loved to say dearly, he believed Hong Kong society should not look should not look like this. We want to do something for Hong Kong to mend the rifts that is not visible and let Hong Kong shine again. To mend the rift, we must rebuild trust. Trust is the basis for society to operate, a catalyst for productivity and the momentum to drive innovation and prosperity, he said in Cantonese. Lee was asked multiple times why he did not enter this year's race. He told the press that he would concentrate on managing the election campaign for a new prospect and asked reporters to focus on the five candidates. Whether it would be difficult for him to secure nominations from the from the three committees was irrelevant, he said. John revealed on Thursday that the party's election funding was set at fifty up five hundred thousand dollars, and an internal fundraising campaign has earlier has surpassed the amount. The nomination the nomination period of the district council election will begin next Tuesday and end on October thirtieth. So. I'm not gonna say good. I'm not gonna say um oh or this and that. I'm gonna say to them good luck. I don't know how um they're gonna do how they're gonna run or how they're gonna campaign, but God bless them. Hopefully, if that happens, and of course they're a new party, so obviously they're gonna be trying new things to make sure that they gain the votes. And thank you for tuning, guys. If you guys enjoy the podcast, make sure you tune in every Monday and Friday for our podcast. There's stuff going on next week. Hope you guys can join in. And make sure at least check out, come to the meeting at LSG meetings and things like that. And there's also a, a radio show coming up next week. We're going to be talking about other stuff, election-wise or whatever. And that's it for today. And we'll talk more next time. This is Team Cal, my radio, signing out. Hope you guys have a great weekend. Take care. <laughs> My radio. It's on on every Monday and every Friday. And host my radio. Welcome to the show. Thank you.